Good morning, Crossroads. Uh, I want to thank you for being here this morning. We're glad to see you. Come inside, get warmed up. Uh, for those of you who are joining us here this morning online, I want to thank you for tuning in and joining with us. For those of you in the auditorium, would you please stand and worship with us this morning?
Jesus, the only one who could ever save. 
wonderful morning of worship this morning. God's so good, isn't he? We're so thankful that you're here today. We just want to take a moment and welcome you and say thank you for coming to Crossroads. I'm Ken Barner. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time, I'd like to personally welcome you. I'd like to invite you to stop by our welcome center and and stop by. And uh, we have a free gift out there. We'd just like to say thank you for coming today. So I'd like to invite you to uh, learn a little bit more about Crossroads. And along that, I'd like to just share with you just a few brief announcements before we continue a a time of worship this morning here today. Uh, uh, Things are happening around the church. God is doing some great things, isn't he? And uh, I'll tell you, one of those great things is we're having a Next Steps class. This is our membership class today. We have about 30 people signed up to be here for that. Isn't that wonderful, folks, huh? God is so good, and so we're excited about that. Three, uh, 30 people coming to that today. Uh, that's provided that they can get the snow removed off their driveway, right? So we're looking forward to that. Uh, so that, that'll be today right after the 11 o'clock service at 1215 down in the canopy room. Uh, and then just a few other things here. Women's retreat coming up. Uh, we have our women's retreat. is the end of the month. Today is the last day to sign up. So if you've not yet signed up, please do so. Go to the church website. Stop by the information center. Tell them, hey, I'd like to go on that ladies' retreat. Only if you're a lady, okay? So make sure that you're going on that. Enjoy a good time. I've heard that there are about 70 women signed up for that. How exciting is that? Not for, yeah. Not, not, not for the guys who have to stay at home and do all diaper duty, right? All the guys are going to make meals and all that's things that they're not used to. So that's coming up here at the end of the month. So I want to encourage all the women of the church to go ahead and uh, go away on that and have a good time. And then as, uh, this Wednesday night, we, uh, our men's Bible study has been the case for Christ. We've been enjoying a time with the men's Bible study, the case for Christ. But this Wednesday, we will not be meeting, nor will the, wen- uh, the women's Bible study be meeting because there will be a talent show here in the auditorium for our kids ministry. So please make note of that. Our Wednesday nights Bible studies will not be meeting, but the kids ministry will be taking over. There'll be a talent show in here. So I want to encourage everybody, come on out 630 on Wednesday and encourage the kids. We'll be here in the auditorium. Those Bible studies will resume next week. Sunday, April the 9th is our uh, extravaganza. I want to encourage you to get ready for that. Begin to bring somebody. uh, Pray about who you can invite today. Invite somebody to come to this. There's 10,000 plus Easter eggs. It's going to be a fun day out there for all the kids. It's a fun day for our community. We uh, we average about 1,200 to 1,500 people will be coming up here for something like this. So it's going to be an incredible day long. And uh, we want to encourage you to sign up some kids to be there. Uh, I'm holding in my hand what was in the middle of your bulletin. It's the extravaganza sign up. And uh, if you would like to sign up to serve, this is for you if you're looking to serve. So please take this and sign up to serve. Maybe you can stuff eggs. Maybe you can help out on the parking lot. Maybe you can help by donating. Uh, they want to give away prizes. They want to give all, all kind of prizes away to these kids out there. Uh, or you say, I'll help wherever needed. Take and put your information on this on this paper. And then in the foyer, you'll see there's a table off to the left. Uh, Kim or Chrissy will be over there, and they will gladly take your information and help you to plug in. But if you'd like to sign somebody up for the egg hunt, go to the website, and right off the church website, there's free tickets that they can get, and uh, and we'll be looking forward to uh, having having you do all that. 
So I want to encourage you today uh, with all the good things that God is doing. Find, uh, jump in and see what, see how you can get involved. Bring somebody to the extravaganza, and then we're going to be rolling right into Good Friday and Easter Sunday the following week. So begin now to pray about who that you can invite. Amen. God is good, folks. God is good, and He's continuing to move in this church. And uh, I'm I'm more than excited about this membership class today. Just explaining to a number of folks how that you can uh, make Crossroads your home. So let's thank God for that this morning. What a wonderful, wonderful Lord that we serve today. And then I want to thank you for your giving. God's been so good to the church. He's been so good to you. And as we give to the Lord, we're returning our thanks to the Lord. That is a sign of spiritual growth. And as I watch the church growing, we're, we're growing numerically, but we're also growing in depth. Our, the, we're seeing disciples. We're, we're not just making church attenders here. We are growing disciples in Christ. And as you're growing as a disciple, one of the things that you do is give. So I want to encourage you folks to use the offering boxes on the wall. To, to give through the mail or to give online. And so God has been uh, blessing you. And as you return, thanks to him, that, that tithe, that offering belongs to the Lord. We give it to, to the Lord. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's just thank God. Uh, this morning I've asked Pastor Luke. He'll be speaking. He'll be sharing part two of our series 24. We're looking at the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus. I hope that you enjoyed last week as we kicked it off with the Lord's Supper. Today, uh, we're going to be moving along that journey, and it's, uh, it's, it's incredible what Jesus packed into the last 24 hours. So I want to encourage you um, to, uh, to take notes today. It's a great message today, as Pastor Luke shares, from, uh, the next, from part two of our series, 24. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we come before you, Lord, and we just thank you for all that you're doing. You're moving in great ways in our church, Lord. God, as you continue to move and you continue to bless, we are honored, we are privileged, Lord, to, to be a part of the, the movement, movement of God right here in Finleyville, right here in Pittsburgh. So, God, I ask that you'll continue to put your hand of blessing upon the church, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for each gift and for each giver, Lord, as, as they respond to you, as they give to your holy name. God, I pray now that uh, you'll, you'll put your hand of blessing on uh, all of our disciples, Lord, as we're growing in you and we're trying to become followers of Jesus, not just attenders of church, but, but truly walking the path, walking the journey of Christ. Lord, we thank you for these great things that we have coming up. We're so thrilled about the, the uh, ex- extravaganza. Thank you for many people already signing up to serve. And, Lord, I pray for many more that will sign up as, uh, as they jump in and they're able to do something uh, for a cause that's bigger than we are, Lord. It's the cause of bringing somebody to know you personally. So, Lord, we just thank you and we ask your blessing. And, God, as we continue to sing, as we continue to worship and praise you now, God, I ask that your hand of blessing will uh, just reign over this place, Lord, that you'll hear sweet savor of worship from your people now. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?
Okay, all right, show of hands, who decided to put their shovel away and cause this whole thing to happen this weekend, huh? Show of hands, one person, you know. <clears throat> I, my, son, my sons were like, Daddy, do we, do we know where the shovel's at? And I said, yeah, it's over there, it's over there. But uh, listen, it was, uh, it was interesting, wasn't it? But I, you know, I, I laugh because I think about when these things happen, it throws us all off, and I think, you know, maybe it was for one reason or another, but hopefully this was winter's last-ditch effort, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, it is western Pennsylvania. And I listen, snow could happen in April, who knows? Um, but I want to encourage you, last weekend when we started this series, I thought, you know, when we take communion as a church, it's always special. And I thought that last weekend when Pastor Kenny kicked off the series, 24 hours, 24 hours it changed the world you know, we, we really focused in on the Last Supper. We focused in on what Christ and his disciples shared. And I just thought it was, it was a great weekend. It was special. It truly was. And so 24 hours doesn't seem like much time, does it? And time is so precious. We said, if I had more time, what could I get done? And so I just thought, you know, just as a, as a, as a, as a side note, what can you do in 24 hours? In 24 hours, you could walk around the entire island of Manhattan. You could uh, complete the Lost Coast Trail in California. You could go vegan for a day. Uh, you, I didn't say should, I said could. <clears throat> Many benefits, I've heard. Uh, but you could read one of the classics or modern classic American novels. You could read through Shakespeare's 37 plays. And you're, some of you are going like, why is he saying this? You could bike from Miami to Key West, you could learn a new language, or you could undertake a DIY project to improve space, but for many of us, 24 hours obviously turns into 24 days and and on and on. You could do a lot, and as a humorous side note to bring into a serious reality, 
nothing could compare to the last 24 hours of Jesus' life and what he did for all humanity. Nothing could compare to what Jesus did and how, he, and how his life has changed our world forever. Last weekend, Pastor Ken kicked off the, talking about the powerful interactions of Jesus and his disciples during the Last Supper. We ended with communion. And again, as we take communion, I hope all of us continue to just take it more serious as we focus in on Christ. And I think growing up in the church, I never truly understood what it was all about. And I'm learning more and more every single time I take communion. What am I doing when I receive the body, when I see, receive the, the, the juice? What am, I, what am I doing when I receive the bread and the juice? What, what am I focusing on? And so as we continue on and as Jesus' life approaches that final hour, Things move at an incredible pace. We start to see these, as these last events unfold in Jesus' life, we're allowed to witness some of the most heinous and just so unjust situations in his life, but yet the most holy. And as we read about Jesus in the garden, we're going to read about a very, very precious, very holy moment in Jesus' life. As we join Jesus and his men today, uh, they're in the midst of an eventful night. They've just finished the Passover celebration. They left the room where they celebrated Passover and made their way from Jerusalem through the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as Jesus is on his way with the disciples, he has a conversation. And we read about this conversation in John chapters 14 through 17. He's sharing these truths with him. Jesus is imparting truths as he's done with the disciples during his earthly ministry. He continues to just walk with them. They walked alongside of them. They learn by watching, and they're going to continue to learn by watching as they see Jesus' interaction with the Father in the garden. Jesus teaches them about heaven, the peace of God, surrendering to the Lord, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he prays a powerful prayer that we're going to read this morning in John 17 and as we begin our, our time. He says in John 17, Jesus says in John 17, 14 through 21, he's, and this is, this is a prayer he says to the Father, I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world may believe, will believe you sent me. Jesus went to the cross for you, for me, for us. Not so that we would just be saved, but that we would be made holy, that we would be made set apart, that we would be different, that we would be saved for a mission. And if you think about what Jesus left by worldly standards, he didn't leave much. He left disciples. He left people. He didn't leave this massive Fortune 500 company that with, with many, many years of, of millions of billions of dollars in revenue, he left people. He left his early earthly work full of confidence in the work of God through his disciples. Today, I want to focus as we arrive with Jesus and the disciples in the garden. I want us to really focus in. And some of us, I think, when we're looking at this picture of Jesus, we're starting off like looking at a corner of a piece of paper with a magnifying glass. And you're looking in and you can't see quite the whole picture. 
And I pray that as we continue throughout this series, that you begin to back up and see the whole picture of what Jesus was all about. And so as we begin uh, this morning, as we dive in, I want us to really focus in on what happened when they arrived at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus imparts changing truths to the disciples after the Last Supper, and now he was going to the Father with one of the most intense and powerful moments that we see between the Son and the Father. And so let's, let's take into consideration what happened that night, because it became more than just a garden where Jesus and his men spent some time. On that night became the place where Jesus did eternal business with the Father. I want to show a picture of uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is, a, this is a, an olive orchard, and it was the Mount of Olives. And then in the, in the actual orchard was a place called Gethsemane. And this is where, and we'll find out more as we continue on, this is where they would bring the olives and under intense pressure would remove the olive oil. And here's where Jesus goes to do business with the Father. The imagery is incredible. So let's pick up in Mark 14 as we continue on. Mark 14, chapter, or Mark 14 uh, verse 32, it says this. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. Jesus came with the disciples, but he only takes Peter, James, and John further into the garden. So why does he do this? He does this because... At certain points in our life, God allows us to encounter things so that we can share for the benefit of ourselves and our growth and also for the benefit of others. So Jesus takes James and John and Peter further in. The name Gethsemane in Aramaic, in its origin, it means olive press. And so I want you to make the connection. Do you see what's happening here already Jesus, without saying anything, is going into a place where under intense pressure something is removed. And under intense pressure, these olives are, are, are put under a pressure and the extraction of these olives causes the olive oil to come out. And here we see Jesus, the Son of God, being pressed by the Father. So you're saying, why was Jesus so crushed? Why was his soul so tormented? Was it because he was worried about the physical torture? Was it the, was it the, the physical torture that he was about to ensue and, and endure? No, it was the, the, it was the spiritual horror of the cross to carry all of the weight of sin of the world. It's like when you, when you read about, you know, we, we lean on the Savior and then you're all of a sudden seeing the Savior, you're seeing our Jesus, our King go, I'm troubled. But for a good reason. You know, when Pastor Ken was talking about the lamb last weekend, it, it really stirred up in me just thinking about if any of you have animals and you try to get an animal to go from point A to point B, it may or may not be like a really difficult situation. If you think about Jesus being the sacrifice, he was not led like a lamb that was prodding and pulling and wanting to go in a different direction. Jesus moved towards the cross. He wasn't an unknowing sacrificial animal, nor was he a victim of his circumstances. He resolved willingly to lay down his life for you and I. Isaiah 53, 7 gives us this beautiful imagery. It says, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before, as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. That was our Christ. That is our savior. That is who Jesus is. And then you're thinking, well, why was he so troubled? The horror of the cross, what does that even mean? 
Second Corinthians 5:21 says, "For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus never sinned, but he was going to be the offering for our sin. A debt that he never encountered, that he never deserved, he paid for. Jesus was not troubled by the physical torture, yet he was blown away and he not blown away, he was troubled by the spiritual horror of carrying the weight of sin. He knows he is about to suffer intense physical pain. He knows that he's about to be sin on a cross. He knows that he is about to be judged by the Father. And he knows that for the first time in his eternity that he will, there will be a breach between the unbroken fellowship between the Father and the Son. And does that already give us an image of what Jesus' desire is for us to be connected to the Father? That any time that we are away from him, that we should yearn to be back and close with him. Jesus became, as it were, an enemy of God who was judged and forced to drink of the cup of the Father's fury so that we would not have to drink that cup. The source of Jesus' agony. You know, the thoughts of what he was about to endure literally overwhelm his mind and his heart. It was a time of extreme internal pressure. Do you see that? Thank God that he endured the spiritual and emotional trials and went to Calvary so that we might be saved. When I think of my own sin, when I think of the things that I've done, the things that I could do and how selfish we are, when we think about how selfish we are, does that not produce a little bit of weight? Do you not start to feel that weight upon you? And to think that Jesus had all of the sins of the world, we can't comprehend. I think of the song that I grew up in youth group singing, and we've sang it many times here before. There's the ending of the song that says, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. And we sing that over several times. And when we sing that, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. What does it produce at the very end? Here I am to worship. Because when you recognize the weight of your own sin and how much we don't deserve anything, but yet Jesus offers us freedom and rescue and salvation because of what he did on the cross for us, what does that produce? Thanks be to God, because I could never do that. I could never earn that. I don't deserve that, yet God offers that to us. It drives us to worship. It drives us to Jesus. Mark uh, 35, as we continue on in chapter 14, it says, He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. So Jesus' interactions, it's, he, he's, he's starting to get deeper into, into prayer. And he says, If it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. And he cries out, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. You know, we see the sheer honesty of Jesus' humanity and the power of God. He says, if you can take this cup, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But at the end, he follows up with the power that only God can produce in our lives, but your will, not mine. Jesus asked the cup to be taken away so that he would not have to endure the cross, but more importantly, since Jesus would have to endure the sin upon the cross. The father could not look upon his son. You think about how Jesus talks to God is a picture of how we can interact with the father. He, he, call, he cries out, Abba. He talks to God as a child talks to a parent. Abba. The closeness, the, the, the closeness that Jesus has. And then he says, your will be done, not mine. And I want to say that there he won the victory. How? How how could Jesus have already won the victory? Because Jesus surrendered. Surrendering to the will of God, as long as we are fighting the will uh, for our lives that God has, we're going to fail. And it seems like a paradox. How do we 
win by losing. When we surrender to the will of God, we surrender to the best path of our lives. And Jesus came to that point of surrendering himself to the will of the Father. He said, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. And many times we pray that whatever difficult, uncomfortable, hard decision that we've faced or situation or path in our lives, we say, God, if you could just remove this. Don't we all pray that sometimes? Haven't we? If you could just remove this. And then I can tell you from my own personal, from my own personal experience, I many times have prayed that and then I end it. And then Jesus goes a step further and he says, but your will, not mine. Many times we pray, Father, we know that all things are possible with you. Touch now. Heal this. Lord, we know that all things are possible with you. Lord, we, now we want to, you to do this. But, oh, how wise it is to complete that by saying and surrendering and saying, your will, not mine. When you think about when Jesus says, take this cup, I want to take us to Matthew chapter 20, 22 through 23. Jesus is talking to James and John. And Jesus answers them by saying, you don't know what you are asking. He says, are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we're able. <laughs> and then Jesus says, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit at the right or left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. In any case, church, our cup that we drink will never compare to the cup that Christ drank. For us, Jesus drank all of the father's wrath, all of the judgment that was due to us. Jesus took that and there was not one drop in that cup left for us to drink. Jesus took it all on the cross. 30, chapter 14, 37, and continue on. It says, then he returns and he finds the disciples asleep. And he says to Peter, Simon, which is funny, he calls him Simon. Are you asleep? He says, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. We, you know, we think that Jesus is irritated. And think about the pressure that Jesus is under, yet he comes to them, and he, he I don't want to say it's a joke, but he, he refers to Peter by Simon, his former name. And he says, why are you sleeping? And imagine Jesus with love and compassion, because isn't that us? We've fallen asleep. We, we couldn't stay up. We couldn't pray. We couldn't stay watch. We couldn't stay focused. We fall asleep. I think about my kids staying up for New Year's. You know, I look over and I see like my, you know, my 10 year old and he's like, oh, I'm going to stay up. And then I see my eight year old. I'm definitely going to stay up because he's my more, you know, he's, he's going to be my accountant. He's like, no, 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 I've, I've weighed the risk. I see the, I see what I need to do to stay up. And then my six year old just got to keep up the rest of them. And then my daughter just goes, yeah, I'm not trying. And you look over and you just see their head, you know, and you think about the disciples, they're human. And they've fallen asleep and Jesus comes back to them and, and, and he says, he's like, he's like, you guys fell asleep. And what he says by watch and pray is Jesus is not saying, I need your prayer to stay awake or to function. He's, he's thinking about the disciples. He's thinking about what they are about to witness. And we'll see later on in the series when, when Jesus goes to the cross, their whole life is turned upside down. And Jesus is saying, I want you to stay watch. I want you to pray. And so he comes to them. And, and, and I think what's so powerful is in love and compassion, Jesus interacts with them because, you know what? Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. 
Jesus' victory at the cross started in the struggle in the garden. And the spiritual battle is often won or lost before the crisis even comes. It's bad enough the disciples didn't watch and pray for themselves, but they should have been willing to watch and pray simply for the sake of Jesus, though prayer and companionship, through prayer and companionship, we must stay beside others in their time of need. Verse 41, it continues on. It says, when he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But no, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Again, we shouldn't think that Jesus is irritated or he's angry with his disciples than the fact that they didn't really help. He's like, I left you guys to do one thing. (laughs) He wanted his disciples to help him and to stand in prayer, not for his own sake, but for their own benefit. Jesus could stand alone against the trial of the cross, but they being without prayer would not. He knows what's coming and he's trying to prep them. So here's the question with all of this, focusing on Jesus interaction with the father in the garden. I want to pose one question. How do we pray when the path that God calls us, calls us to take is not the path that we want to take? How do we pray when the path that God calls us on is not the path that we want to take? The path of difficulty, the path of extreme uncomfort, when it's so uncomfortable and it's so difficult and it's going to require sacrifice. And the number one, the top one thing I want to say is, number one, is don't take the path alone. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You know, the disciples fell asleep on Jesus. And I encourage us, don't go at life alone. We need someone. We need others to support us. And so I want to encourage you as from this church If we can pray for you on anything, people every week send us prayer requests and we take them to prayer in our staff meetings and throughout the week. Please let us know how we can pray for you. And I encourage you even more so if, you know, if you're in a class, if you're serving and you're starting to get to know somebody, that's a great opportunity to grab someone and say, hey, listen, here's something I could use prayer for. Is there anything I can pray for you? Someone you serve with, just give someone a call, send them a text. Do you have somebody to pray with, to pray for? And I think it's, it's, it can be a little bit awkward when you're bringing up something to pray. You're like, oh, you know, hey, could you pray for me? You, you feel like needy. But listen, that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be at that point where we need him and he gives us other people to walk through this life with. So I encourage you, lead out and say, hey, here's something that um, I could use prayer for. Would you pray with me? And what can I pray for you for? You You'd be, you'd be shocked at how that will immediately take your relationship and, and friendships with other people and begin to take it to a deeper level. And I encourage you to take it even a step further. Find a quiet place or call them on the phone later and pray with them right there and then. Would you pray with me on this? I need prayer for this. How can I pray for you? So number one thing, don't take the path alone. Do life with other people. And I encourage you to join a group I encourage you to grab somebody and say, hey, listen, let's make it a point to pray for each other and let's check in on each other. We need people in our lives. Don't go at life alone. The second thing, and this is one that's very dear to my heart, is to turn away from anxiety. I have many, uh, several family members very close to me that struggle significantly with anxiety. And as I know, this is a very wide and rampant issue in our society. Anxiety is as highest it's ever been. And it's not just adults, it's kids, it's, it's everywhere. 
And so Paul says in the, to the letter of the church of Philippi in Philippians 4, 6 through 9, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. The peace of God will rule your heart. And where do we see this? The peace of God ruled in the heart of Christ. Paul uses the word instead here, and it's so powerful because, again, he's saying instead of turning to anxiety, we turn to prayer. And you think, okay, Luke, so you're saying if I turn to prayer instead of anxiety, the anxiety goes away, and it doesn't. Many times we we endure that and we face that over and over. But I'll tell you this, I'd rather have anxiety and a God that's close than have no God and no anxiety. James 4, 8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. I think the question we have to ask ourselves daily is, what do we let talk more in our lives? Our relationship with God or our worry and anxiety? It doesn't say the anxiety or the worry or the concerns go away. But it says here there's a promise. Come close to God and God will come close to you. You know, Sure, I talked about the 24 hours getting a chance to DIY, and I think about how many times I've started off with a small project and 15 trips to Lowe's later. My thought is, well, I hope it works this time. The first couple times I go back to Lowe's, and I'm, I'm like, I'm confident. I'm like, this is going to work. And then by the third or fourth time, I'm like, is there a back door that I can get in? You, guys, you, know, you, you all know what I'm talking about. And you think, come close to God and he will come close to us. And you're thinking, oh, so that means that this is going to go away. And I think so many times we think, man, prayer in this situation, I hope, I hope that this fixes it. The peace that we get isn't always in answered prayer. But it's that the God of the universe is now closer. You see that? You see how that works? Because we think, I come to God in prayer it's Paul says, turn away from anxiety and instead pray about everything. And I think, OK, if I turn to prayer and turn to God, then all of a sudden the anxiety is going to be gone. And and that may not always be the case. The answer to prayer is now the God of the universe is like this. He's close. Jesus literally modeled how we should live with life's heaviness. The most intense weight anyone could carry, the weight of the world's sins. Jesus met with the father for peace. He didn't go to Google. He didn't turn to posting something on social media or often one that I think we all can and I can attest to this. I'm just going to get through it. You know, I look at my calendar and I think, you know, we have a lot of things coming up and I think, oh, if I can just get to this date or if I can just get to this point, that's not how God wants us to live our lives. He wants the peace to wash over us, the peace to, to be the authority in our lives, his peace that only comes from him. So turn from anxiety and let, and I pray for this church, I pray for myself, I pray for those around me to let peace rule in our lives, to let that be the authority in our lives, and to let God's word talk more than the worries. The third thing is that let prayer, prayer must be a consistent priority. I think oftentimes it's like I did not have time, and the reality is I didn't make time. Jesus is sitting in the quiet of the garden carrying the deepest 
anguish known in existence. And he prays three times. And my conviction here is where do I go when God calls me on a path that I don't want to go on? Do I go to anger? Do I go to frustration? Do I go to anxiety? Do I go to worry? And how many times do I go to prayer? It's so easy, like Peter, to be like looking at Jesus and then all of a sudden the peripheral takes, takes hold, doesn't it? Because I begin to look this way and I look this way. And haven't you watched the news? Haven't you seen what's happening? The realities of what's going on with your kids and what's happening in school, what's happening in our world. And it's so easy to, to do this instead of to keep our eyes on Jesus. Romans 12, 12 encourages us and it says, rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. So my challenge to us all is what is your plan? You know, if we treat prayer like a fire hydrant, when are we going to pull it out? Only when there's a fire. If we look at prayer like a fire hydrant, it's going to sit there and it may collect dust and I'm only going to pull it out when I need it. And we hope that we never need it. And maybe that's a reality for some of us as we go, well, prayer's there, and if I need it, I need it. And if I don't, it's right there. If we look at prayer like a root system for a plant, the system of roots is, has to be connected. And if we don't stay connected, what happens? We fizzle out. We have to stay connected to the Father, and prayer is one of the ways that we stay connected to God, the power. I encourage you, grab a journal as you're on your way out. Make it, make, it, make it a part of your plan every day to write down your prayers. And if you're starting off praying, begin simply. Just write, God, I'm here. Present your request, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. But make prayer a consistent priority. The fourth thing, determine to obey even when it doesn't feel good. Isn't this one difficult? This is by far one of the most difficult because we typically run away from things that are uncomfortable, difficult, or require sacrifice. But here in Hebrews, we're challenged, again, to keep our eyes on Jesus and his model, his perfect demonstration of obedience. Hebrews 5, 7 says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Jesus demonstrated perfect obedience. So let us focus on him. Hebrews 12, 2 through 3 says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. So you're thinking, why, why, is, why, why is Hebrews telling us to focus on Jesus? Well, let's back up to verse 1. Therefore, since we are, frown, we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. When I'm thinking about obeying and following God, when it, even when it doesn't feel good, I have to keep my eyes on Christ because if I turn away, it's easily about myself and the selfishness starts to creep up and this uncomfort you know, and I think about when, 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 we, when we really think about enduring, I think about, you know, there was, a, there was a job growing up, and I remember if I just said, well, if I just keep plugging away, I can get to the end of the week and get a paycheck. If I just keep just enduring it, you know, I keep enduring my boss, I did, and this was like in high school, so like I really had no clue what I was doing anyway. But I just kept, think, kept saying, if I just keep pushing through, if I just keep pushing through, I get to the paycheck. 
and you think that's what I'm driving towards. So I, I pose a question to us churches. What are we driving towards when we endure the, the pain and the trials and the uncomfortable things in life, the difficulty, the sacrifices? And we ask the question, we start to rationalize, is it worth it? Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And, de- and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When Jesus went to the Father in the garden, he prayed, let your will be done, not mine. That's the kind of obedience I want. Not mine, but your will, God. And endurance is just the beginning of how God is growing us. Trials and pain develop endurance, which shapes our character. And it's like a chiseling, because when when God shapes us, it is painful, isn't it? And maybe you're sitting in that pain right now, and it hurts. And he's shaping us and he's making us more into Jesus, which is a painful process. But it's shaping our character. And then that starts to say, okay, I'm looking more and more and more to the hope that I have in Jesus. And it's not just a I hope it works or is it worth it. Jesus tells us that it's worth it and that the faith and the hope that we have in him will not disappoint. Don't go at life alone. Turn away from anxiety. Let prayer be a consistent priority. And as we obey, even when it doesn't feel good, that we are determined to keep our eyes on Christ. You know, when Jesus went to the garden, he left us a powerful demonstration. Your will, not mine. He left us an example to model our lives after, no matter the path that God calls us down. May it be your will and not ours. As I'm reading through this, I felt like I had a magnifying glass. I'm like looking at this passage. I'm starting to look at it. And then as I start to back up, I'm realizing one thing. Jesus really loves me. And he really loves us. I'm blown away. I'm blown away about how much Jesus loves us. The sin that you and I have had, that we have, is held us captive, was taken by Jesus on the cross and destroyed once and for all. When Jesus was tormented in the garden, when his soul was crushed and he was troubled, and the sin that he was about to carry was just just weighing incredibly heavy on him, and he said to the Father, "'May it be your will and not mine.'" You know who was on his mind? You and I. That is love. We were on his mind. Are you ready to embrace God's love today? Would you pray with me? Father, as we approach you and and just share where we're at, God, I pray that we would recognize, Lord, we can't do life alone. Lord, all the anxiety and the worry that that plagues our lives, God, that we, um, we have to bring those to you. And we know that your word says that, that you will come close to us as we come close to you. That's a promise. 
And God, the anxiety and the worry and the pain and the trials may not go away, but we now have the God of the universe with us, and we learn to walk in your presence. And Father, as we just seek to make prayer, to make our communication, our talks with you consistent and our priority, God, I pray that you would just meet us, meet us exactly where we're at. And Lord, as we determine to obey, even when it doesn't feel good, that we would focus on Jesus and let it be your will and not ours. And Lord, if we're here this morning online, we're here in the building and we're going, man, I'm just now seeing how much God loves me. And you're ready to embrace that love today, to embrace that love that Jesus has for you. It's a simple, it's a simple but gigantic step. And if you're here this morning online or here in the building, I just want to encourage you, it's a simple prayer. This is eternal business you're about to do with God. And you're going to say, Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I give my life to follow you now and forevermore. Jesus, you've, you, you, you changed me. And now I want to tell the world about you. I believe you are the risen Savior, the Son of God. Lord, help us as your church to walk out of here looking more and more like Christ as we obey, as we do life with others, as we pray, as we, uh, God, as we just continue to just battle through all the things that we battle through and walk the paths that we may not want to walk, but at the end of it, that we would, in confidence and in peace that only comes through you, say, your will, not mine. Lord, be with your people as we respond. In your name and Jesus. Amen. Would you guys stand as we close this morning? Thank you for joining us.
please come back next week as we continue our series. Please go in peace. You are dismissed.